Everybody, and welcome to the October 30th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Please allow me to first explain my altered look, and you'll see the altered looks of the entire panel. In honor of the GOP debate this week in Boulder, and for Halloween, we decided that we'd dress up either as a candidate or a member of the press or something else related to it, and thus explaining my questionable uh, Anderson Cooper hairdo. So with that, let's get a quick take on Denver District Court judge's decision that will allow the Denver Rescue Mission to open its Lawrence Street Community Center. Patty Calhoun, uh, first, you, you first let us know who you're dressed as and your opinion on the, uh, the big overturn in co the court. Well, I think it's pretty clear I am the next president of the United <laughs> States. But as for the overturn, um, I'm not sure Hillary's paid close attention to this case. Um, I think it's a great thing that they overturned this. Here's the thing. We should have had the fight a long time ago about this. If you have been out in this part of town, you know how badly this day center is needed. It was studied, everyone talked about it, the day center is needed where the people are during the day when they're released from the shelters at night. So hopefully this will give people needed services and get them off the streets so that other people can actually walk into their businesses. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Let folks know who you're addressed as, which uh, I think it's going to be very obvious for everyone watching. Uh, and then also your opinion is, is this legal battle over? Being De Denver District Court, do you think that the ballpark neighborhood folks who originally brought the suit will, or can they appeal from here? Are they done, or is this not the last we've heard from this? I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm running for president because we need to stand up to the cronyism that is ruining this country. And you ain't going to solve cronyism by electing the current Republican frontrunner or the current Republican Democratic frontrunner, both of whom are career cronies. I'm running as a socialist because I'm open. I want to be the second socialist president of the United States. Our current president, President Obama, who I will follow up on, joined a socialist party, won its endorsement in 1996. But I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to be in the closet. What you see is what you get. And I hope I'll earn your vote to be the, our second socialist president and really make this country great. <laughs> that and very by well. the way, the legal decision was, was, was correct. Uh, the Denver uh, city attorney came in with new information, and so the judge changed his mind based on the new information. And given that, it seems like a legally solid decision from a judge who has a good reputation as ruling on the facts and the evidence and not his personal predilections. Uh, Ed Seeler from Denver Business Journal. Following David Copel is always a challenge in this show, so I, I, I already respect you giving the best shot. Let folks know who you're dressed up as, and then let us know what you think about the big court decision. Well, I, I'd like to just say that I, I'm pretty uh, taken aback by uh, Secretary Clinton's remark that she's going to be the next president. I think clearly... <laughs> I, Senator Rubio, will be the next president. Um, you know, when you look at this fight, it, it, it seems like it's part of the bigger picture of what's going on in Denver right now. Is that, you know, the, the Denver city officials are trying to find some way to deal with uh, the homeless issue, and they're getting beaten back by people of different uh, opinions about this issue in every way. Um, so I, I think it's interesting to see the decision go uh, in this favor, and, and I think it'll be part of a bigger solution that they're working on right now. 
And rounding out our panel, Susan Green, editor of ColoradoIndependent.com. Let us know um, how you're dressed and wrap up the topic for us. Can't you tell? What? It's not it's obvious? It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I am the beleaguered media. I'm rude. I'm a commie pinko. I'm pushy. And I'm struggling to stay afloat. Ah, I like that. I'm, I'm a little, little deflated, and it's really quite tiring and exhausting <laughs> trying to stay afloat. Um, the ruling, kudos to Judge Mullins for overturning his own decision and to the rescue mission for this really fabulous and much-needed day center. And a big raspberry to the residents of the ballpark neighborhood. Um, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, really, there's obviously quite a need for these day services in, in the neighborhood. And I'm from Detroit, and the day before Halloween in Detroit, we celebrate a different kind of holiday called Devil's Night. And I kind of think those residents of uh, Ballpark need some toilet papering and soaping for trying to, uh, trying to really shut out uh, all the homeless folks who really need those day services in their neighborhood. CNBC's Republican presidential debate held in Boulder this week gave Senators Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz a bump in the headlines and created some criticism over how the network handled questions. The National Republican Party announced on Friday that they will not partner with NBC News for a February debate, citing concerns over how the CNBC debate was handled. Uh, Patty, what were your impressions of how the debate went, uh, especially being held here in Boulder? Well, I'd first like to point out that this opens things up for Colorado Public Television. Why don't we host the debate in February? It's a great we idea. could not deal, do a worse job than CNBC <laughs> had done. It not only the moderating system doesn't work when you have ten people on a stage and three people throwing out questions. One of whom I have to. In uh, full disclosure, Carl Quintanilla was a former Westward intern. He learned nothing from us. I can tell you that right now. You cannot blame him for us. Uh, but. It was a fascinating thing to watch no matter what because you had certain people broke out of the pack in ways they hadn't been able to break out before. Loved hearing Chris Christie just go to town on um, the fantasy football thing. There were some great zingers that people got off. That were uh, Ted Cruz, even though I didn't agree with the word he said, you know, his attacks on the media were fascinating. The... Um, the fact that he did offer Carl Quintanilla a pot brownie was also very interesting. So, and that we didn't pay, you know, you didn't hear as much from um, Donald Trump as in previous debates. You kind of heard a little more from Ben Carson. He wasn't asleep, apparently. And uh, I, although I couldn't believe it when I heard at the end that Carly Fiorino had had the most time, because she didn't seem to say that much that resonated. But I thought it gave us a real look at a lot of the other candidates and also really the media bashing showed that you can re unite the Republicans on at least one issue. That certainly seemed to be the, the great unifier of the debate and offered uh, a real platform. David, what did you think of the candidates that took advantage of, I guess, really how poorly CNBC handled the debate? They really grabbed that mantle and used it as a weapon, and quite effectively in, in Senator Cruz and Senator Rubio's case. Well, I, I don't think anybody predicted uh, at the start of this presidential campaign that the first candidate to give a shout-out to famous Colorado brownies was going to be Ted Cruz. <laughs> and, and that actually says something positive about his potential viability if he wins the nomination in the general election. He is, of course, campaigning as a very hardcore conservative and 
Ronald Reagan shows you can be elected if you're that, but it has to be with a persona that's not all angry and, and negative, and that was a, a big part of Reagan's shift in, in 80 to that more positive approach. And so this could be uh, a, a step in that direction for Ted Cruz. The debate moderators should ask tough questions. But these guys were not only interrupting the candidates all the time in very stupid and pointless ways. And when, when a guy from New Jersey tells you you're being rude, you know you've got <laughs> very, very far over the line. They, these are questions that seem as if they were the, the whole per, the panel of, of moderators struck me as guys that like some, sometimes they, they turn on the view in the morning mm -hmm. and they think, oh man, this is too much intellectual policy wonk stuff for me. <laughs> I, I, I got I to like, I'm going to change this to talk about something I'm interested in. So in a debate that was supposed to be about economics and the economy, no serious getting into Colorado's uh, tax growth uh, and the economic effects of marijuana here, completely stupid questions about people. You know, Rubio, why did you take money out of your IRA? Uh, your tax plan uh, cuts... The, the Harwood's question on that was a lie by his own standards because it was based on a story he'd written previously which he had, for which he had issued a correction and then he persisted in sticking with this lie uh, during the whole thing. It was so incredibly shallow and so therefore you have to hand it to CNBC because nobody predicted before this debate began that in all this bitterly partisan atmosphere in this country that at least for one night it would bring together everybody. The, all the country recognized that these guys are a bunch of dolts and the worst moderators literally in the history of any presidential debate in American history. So maybe we can't all agree about taxes, but at least we did come together, united as a nation, on one important issue that night. Finally, the unifying of America coming across the, the, the bashing of CNBC moderators. Ed, uh, I'm curious to figure out, to find out what you felt about the debate. If, if anyone got a, a substantive bump, I mean, is it going to be more than just this news cycle that we'll get any of the candidates from this particular debate? Well, what I think the debate lacked in bringing issues forward, and let's be clear, the debate should always be about issues because this is what people should be voting on. I think it made up for in kind of bringing some character forward in watching how the candidates reacted to these asinine questions both from the panelists and from each other at times. Um, I think and it's not just because I'm playing him, but I think Senator Rubio really got the biggest bump out of this. I mean, when he rose above not just, hey, Hey, you know, why uh, is it your turn to run? But, I mean, kind of the, the Jeb Bush questioning of him, too. And really, I think he kind of put himself forward as the, I'm going to have a vision. I'm not just going to be no on everything. And I think that's what too many of these candidates have been seen as so far, as being anti-Obama, anti-Clinton, anti-this. I think Rubio really took steps to putting himself forward as being pro-something rather than anti-something. Um, I think, and I don't know how much of a bump he can have, I think this continued to show Chris Christie's character as well. I think it's one thing everybody kind of lash out at some of the questions, but Christie really put forward this persona that he's a serious guy in the room. I think that Bridgegate hurt that. I think that people looked at him like he was some, you know, nice suit-wearing mobster that they always imagined would come out of New Jersey. But, I mean, he's really starting to come forward as a I'm going to talk about the issues type of guy. And I think that really showed forward, too. And though I'm not sure 
anyone in America actually watched it, um, I think anybody who saw the undercard should start asking, why isn't Lindsey Graham on the big stage right now? I think he has started to put forward, especially in the foreign policy realm, uh, some issues that others aren't talking about as well. So I think there are a couple people that could come out of this. Um, and by the building up of a Rubio, of a Christie, of somebody else, I think you're going to start seeing some of the character or some of the support erode from... Uh, the Trumps and the Carsons, who are basically getting by on their personas right now. As soon as America sees that others have personas, uh, they might want to go for someone a little more experienced. Susan, I, I understood how uh, that both Senator Rubio and Senator Cruz could take advantage of calling, calling you know, the mainstream media, the, the pack for the Democrats. That's going to play well in the Republican primary, but that completely goes away for any sort of general election point. Do you, did you see anybody in the debate score any points that actually might be helpful next year at this time, the general election point? Uh, not so much. I mean, this is really about them bashing each other and bashing the media, which, um, you know, it's, it's important. This costume is kind of, you know, meant for a laugh on some level, but really dead serious. I mean, the thunderous applause, the anti-media applause in that room, even after they cut to a commercial break, I think should be concerning to everyone, Republicans, Democrats, independents, and certainly us, the news media. Um, you know something's funky about these candidates' worldview. I'm sorry, my wig <laughs> and my band-aids are um, getting in my way. When they think that um, they portray CNBC, which bows every hour on the hour to the gods of Wall Street, they portray that as a lefty, a tool of the left, uh, political left in this country. I mean, that's just whacked out. And the fact that that the audience, which was comprised mostly of Republicans, responded to that so thunderously is scary. I mean, what, that's an old tool. We've seen that over and over again. John McCain certainly perfected this anti-media rhetoric. Um, I'm sorry, Newt Gingrich perfected the anti-media rhetoric in 2012, and it dates way back to before the Third Reich and Mussolini when, you know, you blame the Jews and you blame the media, and often you blame the Jews in the media. And... Um, I think it's, it's cause for a lot of concern for all of us. So I want people to take this costume really seriously. Really, come to our rescue, please. <laughs> the, the purple Band-Aid uh, aside, yeah, I, I get your point. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Listen to some local stuff. Governor Hickenlooper and Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman are at odds this week over the implementation of the Clean Power Plan. Hickenlooper announced the money that he will seek the state Supreme Court's opinion in challenging Kaufman's joining 24 states in a lawsuit against the EPA's plan. David, this uh, surrounds the, uh, the Clean Power Plan from the Obama administration that really targets a lot of um, uh, coal usage, which is big, in the United, big here in Colorado and many other states. But the governor fighting the attorney general of one state on who can sue what, uh, where, where do you think this is likely to land? He has not yet written this letter to the Colorado Supreme Court, which he said he was going to do on Monday. It'll be interesting to see what's in it. He has some big problems with this. Uh, in Colorado, as in, as in most of the country, the attorney general is... In New Jersey, the uh, attorney general is appointed by the governor. Everywhere else, the attorney general is an elected, independent, constitutional officer chosen by the people to represent them. Um, in 2010, I debated Jane Dubosky, former Colorado Supreme Court justice, uh, on Obamacare, and she was criticizing Attorney General Southers for having joined the multi-state suit against it. 
And she also said, while well, she thought it was a stupid suit and had no chance of success, not an entirely correct prediction, uh, she also very firmly said that it was unquestionable that the Attorney General had the legal authority to do that. And in fact, the law in Colorado about that was the strongest in the entire country. We've had many cases where attorneys general have in, been involved in lawsuits uh, on their own initiative uh, where the governor uh, was not on the same policy view on that. So I, I think it's a, uh, something of a desperate move uh, on the governor's part to try this. Ed, did you find it surprising uh, to see Governor Hickelooper's announcement? A little bit. I mean, especially because Hickenlooper didn't take on Southers uh, when he did this. Now, admittedly, Southers filed that lawsuit while Ritter was still governor, but uh, but he wasn't up for taking him on there um, because we have a little bit of precedent. It's a different situation, but, you know, this goes back to Ken Salazar back in 2003 uh, suing uh, the Secretary of State uh, over implementation of the redistricting rules. Um, you know, and, and again, different situation, suing a state official, suing the government, but uh, but clearly the Attorney General has shown their mettle in this state before. Um, and the last thing is worth noting is that, you know, this is technically the Attorney General's power. I mean, the Attorney General is the chief uh, court officer, for, for lack of a better description, uh, in, in what they do as a job. They, when she says, I'm suing on behalf of the people of Colorado, we do have to remember, we, rep we elected her to be the chief uh, legal officer for this state. I think too many people vote in the down-ballot races based on party, and they don't realize I'm electing somebody who has a very specific job here. And maybe it should at least get people thinking about, oh, if you don't like what Cynthia Kaufman did, uh, we should question our attorney generals more often in the future about where they're going to stand with governors and the federal government. Susan, Governor Hickenlooper accused Cynthia Kaufman of politicizing the issue with this lawsuit. Is he politicizing the issue by trying to challenge it? I don't think so. I mean, her her argument for doing this is she's the government has overreached. The federal government, D.C., has overreached with this legislation, and she's representing the will of Coloradans on this issue. Coloradans voted in 2004 to pass a constitutional ballot measure um, creating clean energy standards. We've uh, risen up on, as a clean energy economy. We tightened those standards in 2013. It's clearly the will of this state and the will of our voters and the will of our legislature to have these standards. So her uh, point about it being overreaching, I think, is out of tune with, with uh, the people of Colorado. What's more is, yes, attorneys general of both parties have gone against the governor in the history of this state. I think what's different about this situation is that she did it in a very rogue, very uncollaborative, not communicating kind of way. She just went ahead and did it. And um, we know from documents that she's consulted with out-of-state, especially Texas, um, energy company lobbyists who are not registered in Colorado in um, working up to her participation in this lawsuit. And I, I think the real question is, um, you know, what, what is she actually jockeying for politically? Like, she's toast. This woman is toast. She's been involved in a major scandal involving alleged blackmailing of the party chairman this year. Nobody ever discusses her as a viable candidate for anything higher than the office she holds. And nobody seems to be able to get along with her. Um, and so I don't know, you know, if this is a political stunt, I don't know what she's posturing for because I don't think she has a future beyond this, this office. Patty, you think we're about to see more fireworks between the AG and the governor? I don't, not a public display of fireworks, I'm guessing. I think um, they both 
pol political moves here. I mean, Cynthia Coppin was not alone. She did join with two dozen other states in this move. Uh, Hickenlooper, who has had oil and gas commission hearings, he's been having clean air hearings, he has just did his climate change report. I mean, clearly he cares about the environment. This was not a happy move for him to see his AG come forward with. So whether he ever actually sends that letter to the Colorado Supreme Court or not, he's made his displeasure clear and will continue to be talking about the environment for the next 100 years here in Colorado. That's for sure. Let's get a quick take on this last one. With the election just a week away, tensions continue to rise in the Jeffco School Board race. This week's finance reports show close to half a million dollars already spent throughout the campaigns associated with the recall. Uh, Ed, you're one of our political uh, journalists out there in the field. What's your feel as we're just a few days from Election Day? You know, it's pretty hard to tell because this is largely without precedent, seeing a school board race and, uh, and a recall going on like this. If you go back to the 2013 recalls of Senators John Morse and uh, Angela Heron, I think one of the notable features was the low turnout, which meant that only the people who were angry about Morse and Heron came out for that. I think if I think this will be determined by turnout. I think if you're, you're already seeing about 25% of the vote come out, uh, and that's going to rise with, with same-day voting, if a lot of people come out, I think that's going to mean that some conservatives have jumped onto this and come out and, and decided to defend them. Um, I, I just uh, I think it's going to be tough to, uh, uh, to, see, to see this recall proceeding. Um, but, uh, you know, it, again, we're in uncharted waters. Susan, your quick take on this. Yeah, um, there's an old adage about Jefferson County, where Jefferson County goes, so goes the nation. And there's not a lot of polling on this. It's an equally divided third, a third, a third Republican, um, Democrat, and independent um, um, area. And what we're seeing is um, not only, I mean, what we're seeing, and this is a, a race that I think Ballotpedia um, listed as the race to watch in the country this year, you know, exceeding races that are much higher ticket in other states. And I think the reason why is because Jeffco has established itself with all of this infighting and all this vitriol as the most watched, um, most controversial school board in the nation. And a lot of it has to do with the influx of money from both sides, from, from uh, the Koch brothers and from the unions. Um, I, I think what's relevant about this, and it's, it's unclear, again, what's, who's going to win or wh how it's going to turn, but because there are other districts in Colorado and there are other districts around the nation that have followed this Jeffco model, this kind of infiltration of the school board and this backlash against it, um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that around the country later um, next year and in years to come. Patty, your thoughts? Well, it's certainly fueled by huge amounts of money coming in from inside. I know we don't have much time. I would say... The turnout is going to decide everything in this election because there's so many things with 2C, with Happy Haynes on the Denver School Board. There are a lot of controversial issues, and they can be swayed so quickly just by the turnout. So if you haven't voted yet, get out and vote, no matter what your position. Get involved. Dave, wrap it up for us. The Independence Institute has been publicly involved in this on the side of the uh, pro-reform uh, view. I think the, if the election had been held on August 1st, uh, the anti-reform side would have won, but I think that that gap is closing, and we're the momentum momentum is pro-reform, and I agree with everyone that it's very likely to be a, a close race, and uh, turnout will be important. Let's get to our favorite part of the show: disgrace of the week. Besides our outfits, <laughs> let's uh, Patty start us off. 
whether they're liberal or conservative, we would like the media to be competent, and we did not see that from CNBC. But just as a reminder that things have been worse, this week we saw Klondike, the polar bear, pass away. Those of you who are in Colorado 30 years ago remember the media hysteria over Klondike and snow, the polar bears, so the media actually has been worse. <laughs> David. The budget deal passed by the House, which takes all the restraint off of spending for the last two years, and it's a good example of why people all across the political spectrum are understanding that the system is run by Washington, D.C. for the benefit of the insiders while just piling us with more and more debt uh, and completely phony purported reductions in spending. Yeah. Harry Reid for calling on me, Senator Marco Rubio, to <laughs> resign. Look, I'm all for having a discussion about office holders and their duty to that office when they are seeking another office. But when Harry Reid comes out and tells him to resign after backing Barack Obama in 2007-2008, when Obama missed twice as high a percentage of votes in the Senate as Rubio is missing now, let's just not be a hypocrite about this. That's a tough, tough, tough to ask in Washington, D.C. there, uh, Senator Rubio. Uh, Susan, your disgrace of the week. Senator, you ignorant slut. <laughs> uh, this is a double whammy. It's the uh, GOP candidates for lying through their teeth during at points during that debate, and also CNBC for not doing enough homework to catch them on. And I'm talking about Trump's comments about Zuckerberg. I'm talking about Carson's comments about his quacky nutritional supplement. Um, I, I think really both of them, both sides, need to stick to the facts, need to stick to public policy. And the, the RNC for boycotting the um, NBC the next debate um, because of what happened here I just think is, is cowardly. Please say something nice about somebody. Patty? Um, it's an end of an era in northwest Denver. The Aguirre family, the who own Rosalinda's Mexican Cafe, opened it over 30 years ago, back when that was still the north side, back when it was a Mexican neighborhood. They have fed hundreds of thousands of people over Thanksgiving for free. They've just been a wonderful role model and been there for three decades as it turned from the north side into low high in a very gentrified area. Today's the last day at that restaurant, and I wish the family the best. David. Well, I got press credentials for the debate, so I got into the spin room and could actually see some of the candidates in person. And the undeniable fact is that Donald Trump truly has outstanding hair, uh, especially for a man of his age. <laughs> Ed. China doesn't do a lot of things right, but its decision this week to end its one-child policy, maybe the most repressive anti-human rights policy in the world, was a smart move on the country's part. Susan. Clarence Moses L. He's a um, Colorado prisoner, 60183. He's been in for 29 years for an assault. It looks like he didn't commit. He's been waiting for months and months for a judge to decide whether to overturn his conviction. He had a terrible week health-wise this week, and everybody's hoping for his uh, good health and for a quick decision. And I want to say uh, thank you to all the folks in the crew and especially my producer, Gabrielle Bryant, who uh, sat in this host position for the last three weeks while I was on vacation. Thank you very much for doing a fantastic job. And, of course, according to Tim Jackson, our Twitter feed says, you know, you should probably be in this seat more often. I couldn't agree more. So thank you for uh, all the help, and thank you, Tim Jackson, for all your, your support on Twitter. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in Tuesday at 7 p.m. for Street Level. Host Eden Lane takes us to the Denver Performing Arts Complex. Remember, that you can catch any part of the show or see how 
postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.